Hey, this is DM Mitch. And this is DM Chris. We love your support. If you would like to see this show become even better, consider checking out our Patreon campaign. If you were to support us at the Bronze Dragon level of only $1, you will get access to our secret archive of dragon-only podcasts. If you support us at Silver Dragon level, you will also gain access to the Patreon Dragon-only section on our forums. You will get inside information as well as give feedback and vote on upcoming episodes. At the Gold Dragon level, you will also be able to join us for our once-a-month Google Plus Hangout, where we will talk all about dungeon mastering. And finally, if you support us at Platinum Dragon level, you will also get some swag from the Dungeon Masters block, which is new every quarter. Past swag rewards have been a Food Mage apron, a DMB shirt, and even a Stop the Goblin King dry erase marker board. And this quarter, we are offering a Hired Heroes mug of your choice. You can check out all these rewards at patreon.com slash dungeon master block. And now, enjoy the show. Well, welcome back, Blockheads, to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I am one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I am Dungeon Master Neil, a.k.a. Joe Maniac. A.k.a. Joe Maniac. I love it. And today we are going to be talking about player influenced storytelling and we are really excited to tell you that we have dm reed from the sneak attack actual play podcast here with us today to join us for the yes to talk about it neil we have a really great discussion some really great looking at how players can influence the story and how we as dms can be receptive to that and encouraging on that we have a great discussion coming ahead on the meet. Yes, it was it was awesome. The ideas that he had and the ideas that I think we all just shared with each other and all took away. Yeah, they were all awesome. Before we go into the meet, though, Neil, you know what time it is. We have some five-star reviews. So, Neil, kick us off with a five-star review. So, for the first one, it's from Jack of All Games, and it's titled, You Have Advantage on Your D&D Podcast Role Here. Personally, I'm not big on recorded game session podcasts, which seem like the majority of D&D podcasts, and was looking for something more informative. This is it. DM's Block is one of my go-to podcasts as I drive to and from work every day. It is veritably chock-full of excellent information for both DMs and players alike. I even like their story time segments because rather than a live playthrough, it is an informative summary of what happened in their campaigns. That is both useful and fascinating. I consider the DMB a resource as valuable as any hardbound D&D book, which is amazing. Keep up the excellent work, gentlemen. <laughs> thank you. So thank you very much, Joag. Yes, Joe <laughs> you're trying to do the yeah. Joe Maniac, yeah. but your your own rendition of it. Nice, nice. Of course, you would. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'll just call him Jack of All Games. Thank you so much. Our next one comes from Anthony, the aspiring DM, and it's entitled Top Notch, Funny and Informative. I'm only about halfway through your episodes, but I've been loving it all. 
The top 10 lists are awesome, and I love the interviews, especially when it involves making a campaign scary or giving it a dark setting. You guys have been very inspiring and helpful to a brand new DM. A lot of food for thought. Keep up the great work from a fellow Michigander, Anthony. Yes, fellow Michigander. Thank you so much, Anthony. It would be sweet, Anthony, to see you at a Michigan con sometime. Let's hope that that happens. So for our last one, it's by Lotus Curry, and it's titled Plus Five Vorpal Podcast. Such a great title. (laughs) I love the DMs block. DM Mitch, DM Chris, and now DM Neil. They even spelled my name correct, which is awesome. Provides so many ideas and tips to being a better DM. I've been telling all my local DMs or aspiring DMs alike to listen and get ideas. That is awesome, yes. They've inspired me to give it a try again as well. Thanks, DMs. Keep on Dungeon Master. No, thank you, Lotus Curry. (laughs) Thank you. I love it. Yes, we will keep on Dungeon Mastering. And with that, Neil, let's head over to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Carving that! Just a mouthful! No! Looks like meat back on the menu, boys. This week on The Meet, we are joined by DM Reed from the Sneak Attack Actual Play Podcast. So, DM Reed, we welcome you to the show. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. We've been looking forward to having you on. And today we are going to be talking about player influence stories. But before we do that, we want to ask you a couple questions as we do all of our guests. So first off, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm 27 years old and I've just been into like RPGs and D&D especially for like the last four or five years. Um, Huge podcast nerd, huge video game movie, pretty much anything that would be deemed nerdy, I'm a fan of. (laughs) I really like the idea of podcasting and tried my hand at a very unsuccessful one. (laughs) I took a break, reevaluated, and then uh, here we are, so... You got into making a D&D podcast because you loved podcasting and DMing? (laughs) Sounds very similar to exactly how we got started. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's it's really funny. So I, I, I got a handful of my friends, uh, three of which are in are players on my podcast mm-hmm. into D&D about two or three years ago. Um, it was the first game I ever DM'd and I was super bad at it. I had no idea what I was doing, <laughs> but for some reason they just kept wanting to play. So we just kept playing. And when that petered out is when I kind of started the idea of, hey, I wonder if, you know, me and a couple of my friends could start a podcast. And then naturally that transitioned to, well, why don't I make a D&D podcast? And yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Sneak Attack podcast? For those of you who don't know or haven't listened to it, uh, Sneak Attack is a podcast with uh, myself as the DM and four player characters. We have Greyick, who's played by a guy named Josh. He's a dwarf fighter he's kind of the lovable numbskull of the group he's always making the wrong decisions or getting the group into trouble but he has the best intentions in mind and then we have brenna who's a half-elf bard played by a friend of ours named kelsey who's actually josh's wife and she is what i would consider the get stuff done character she keeps us all on track and uh helps make sure that the story that i write actually gets heard because otherwise akio and sherwood who play a wizard and a druid yeah nothing would get done if it was up to the (laughs) 
looked up to them and Greg. So they're just a really weird cast of characters. And the podcast really came to be when I just, I was talking to my buddy, Josh, who plays Greg. And I just said, you know, I really like podcasting. I really like creating content, but I want to do something that I feel that I can put my stamp on and that, mm-hmm. that I can kind of make unique. Because my, my other podcast was just your typical, like, let's talk about movies and video games and nerd stuff. And that just, you know, there's a, a million of those out there. And what do you do to make yourself stand out in that genre? And so with this, I was just like, you know, we're all of us are really into D&D. And I feel like what could really set us apart is a very serialized story. and But also kind of just something that represents the actuality of playing D&D around a table. Just that really good table feel of just a group of friends who all like each other, who all get along. And just get together for the fun of it. And we're just going to put microphones in front of us, and but really not change how we play. And that's really just where we started. We wanted to kind of like go the a little bit more uh, manufactured route. We have some some kind of like ambient sound effects and light stuff. Nothing super like produced, but just enough to kind of just make it a little bit more special. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing for us when we decided to do this was we really wanted consistency and high production quality because no matter how good your podcast is, if the audio is not good or you're just no one knows when you're going to release an episode, then people just lose interest immediately. <laughs> and so we knew that we had something special, but the only way that we could actually make it long lasting or impactful is if we stayed dedicated to it. Yeah. And you guys right off the bat, that was something I was impressed with was the audio, like a lot of actual play podcasts, a lot of podcasts starting off. Ours is one example of that. We started off by putting a iPhone down and recording, and you can tell in those early episodes <laughs> that the audio is not what we would look back now and be like, "Ugh, I wish we could change the audio on that." You know? Oh yeah. But like, you guys started out with very nice sound, and I mean, that's a refreshing thing to come into when you're coming into an actual play, especially. We actually started off our first eight episodes. I I kind of hang my head a little bit. I know they're still better, <laughs> and we re- we really put a lot of effort into making sure we we came off strong. But after our eighth episode, we got some different equipment, and in my opinion, it's just worlds better. We have actual like independent mic line recordings, so it's not just all voices on one audio channel now, and it really really helps. Yeah, and you guys have been doing really well. I mean, I see you guys at pretty much the top of the charts, like bouncing up there every single week of the other games podcasts on iTunes. Mm -hmm. Did you ever think that starting off that you would be getting as many listeners? And I know you guys get fan art and everything to where it is now. It's insane. Like (laughs) our first month, I think we came out in June or July. I can't remember anymore of 2015. And we came out on like halfway through the month. And within that first like 15 day period before it rolled over to the next month, we got like 550 downloads and we were just top of the world. (laughs) We can't believe this many people are listening to our stupid little show. (laughs) And just last month, January, since we just wrapped it up, we got 32,000 downloads in in January, which is just unbelievable. I mean, like we never thought we would be able to reach that large of an audience. We're just so blown. We have the best fans in the world. I mean, I know I say Uh, this. I I don't know if I agree with you in that, unless they cross over, because I think we have the best fans in the world. However, (laughs) I'm sure there is some crossover. uh, Your guys' forum (laughs) interaction, uh, as often as people are posting on there, is very, very impressive. But I was the the fans we have are, I mean, I wouldn't trade them for anything. they're, They're engaged. They're constantly tweeting at me just with fan theories, like you said, fan art, just Mm -hmm. stuff that I never in a million years could have possibly (laughs) imagined that we would get. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. So how did you actually first start playing in RPGs? Not you know, you said you had only recently come to D and D. Like what got you into it? I I've played video games since I was two years old. So RPGs I was always very familiar with in the in the video game format. And to be honest, like the idea of the whole pen and paper sitting around a table just describing things, you know, five, six, seven years ago sounded insane to me. <laughs> but I had a, a group of friends that I, I worked at a video game store with. So that kind of just gives you an idea of the type of people we are anyways, that he said, hey, <laughs> this guy's starting a D&D campaign and wanted to know if I'd, I said I've never played before but i i mean i will try anything once and just immediately like loved the feeling of just the consistency of getting together with people on a weekly basis not even necessarily just to like so i can get super in depth in my character and get immersed in the story but just hanging out and like sharing this experience together i know i think that is far and away the biggest thing i've taken away from it is i will tell anybody regardless of what you're into whether or not you like you know fantasy or anything like that i just say just give it a shot because there's something intangible you just can't quite describe it accurately about getting together and sharing these experiences with people one-on-one yes six years ago uh, buddy asked me and i played in two games uh, as a player and then i dm my first game about three or four years ago and this podcast is the fourth game i've dm'd yeah and you're so right too i get so frustrated when i have a friend that i'm like i know you would like this and they just are stubborn they won't play yeah the stigma almost almost clouds it a little bit yeah and even i mean i've had players join into my groups who even i was like there's there's no way that they're gonna like it like i had a friend who had no clue what Mm -hmm. fantasy lore was i remember he came in and played a game with us because that's what we were all doing and he chose to be a half orc and i remember him asking me like what what is an orc i don't i don't understand what any of this stuff is right but he had such a blast running around and his favorite move was cleave and just going through all the enemies but and we'd Mm -hmm. all we'd all chant and i maybe that was it he got his little sports fix but we were all chant cleave 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 as he'd go through (laughs) enemies but really a gladiator finisher exactly exactly but it was it's it's so great and really i've come to realize that role-playing games are storytelling and everybody likes stories like everybody likes whether it's books or movies or comics or whatever it is everybody likes stories and you're right everybody should give it a chance totally agree and so we have one more question from you and this one is a surprise question you had no idea that it was coming well you knew a surprise question was coming but (laughs) didn't know much more than that so this one actually comes from morgan from the going in blind podcast there's two parts of this question the first is what is your favorite D spell i'll say i have a couple okay i think my probably my, my all-time favorite is gaius although i'm not sure that i'm pronouncing that right i've seen it used in so many random wacky ways that just every single time i every t- single time i'm playing with someone who uses it i just can't help but like laugh and like man i never would have thought to use a spell that way if you, for those of you who don't know if you're not familiar with it it pretty much issues a command to the recipient of the spell that makes them follow a very specific command Mm -hmm. for seven days all the way up to 30 i think (laughs) is what it is and the first time i ever saw it used was we were in this we were in this port city i was i'm a player in this game and we're in this port city and this this other player that i'm running through the game with he just got this spell like we just hit level eight or nine or whatever it was and he just got the spell you're so excited to use it and we, we we ran across this npc who was like 
kind of abusing small animals. <laughs> Just for whatever reason, he was just like kicking dogs and cats and stuff like that. And you got to do something so, about that, right? <laughs> exactly. I was a halfling, so small creatures mean something to me. And uh, I was getting up in this guy's face. And, but our my, our druid, he he walks up to him and issues this. He, he calls on his gay spell that says, you have to go for the next seven days, find all the cats and dogs in the city <laughs> and start like an animal shelter for him. <laughs> and it was just like, he could have made him do anything, but he's like, no, you have to go start an animal shelter. And I just thought that was the greatest spell. Like there's That's nothing awesome. else in D and D that can compel someone to start an animal shelter. <laughs> and I just, I just thought that was absolutely great. That's awesome. I feel bad for those animals though, after the seven days are up and he's got all these animals in one house with him. <laughs> That's right. What I, I think there was a little bit of intimidation involved as well. <laughs> a little, little bit of a fair warning, like we'll come back and check yeah. on you something. <laughs> Another one I love is Misty Step, just because I've seen that used in some really fun ways, too. But nice. I, I love anything that can be used outside of what you would expect it to be used for. Like escaping a black goopy monster from a three legged creature. <laughs> exactly. That was that was so great when he when Sherwood, our druid in my game, uh, decided that he was going to use Misty Step to escape this creature that I had in my head, I had written down the way you could break free. And that was not one of them. But when, when Sherwood said he wanted to Misty Step to teleport out of there, I'm just like, heck yes, of course, I'm going to let you do that because that's amazing. <laughs> nice. Okay, so here is the second part of the question that Morgan wants answered. I think it was more of a way to get to this part. But so your answers were Gaius and Misty Step. So Morgan mm-hmm. wants to know what the vocal component for that spell sounds like when you're a wizard casting those spells. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, I think Gaius has like a minute casting time. Okay. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's almost like you pull out a book and start reciting Shakespeare, give I us think. A, give us a little, a little glimpse of it. Oh, gosh, I really don't want to do this. <laughs> this is really terrifying. <laughs> Whisperous in the Irum. <laughs> Fingers on the brain. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> if man, if 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 I had if I had like a good thirty minutes, I could come up with something really solid. But unfortunately, this is uh, I'm not not so good on my feet as you're seeing. All right. Well, how I think you should probably add that into a sneak attack podcast episode, and then oh, absolutely. listeners the ne- can go the- and check that out. Yeah. The next. Uh, the next. Uh, NPC, the characters meet who cast Gaius. We'll have something All quite right. spectacular awesome. planned. <laughs> and what about Misty Step? That's got to be an easier one, right? Oh yeah, Mis- Misty Step would just be uh, so- you know something simple because it requires like no casting time at all. It's just like uh, teleport us instantaneous or something Ooh, like that. Good. You know, like you got to get a little Latin in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for telling us a little bit about yourself and sneak attack yeah. and spells and all that great stuff. Let's jump into the meat here. Let's start talking about player influence storytelling now when i asked reed to come onto the podcast i said what is what are some topics that you would love to talk about as far as dming and this was something that you said i would love to talk about this so that's what we're going to be talking about today but before we really get into what player influence storytelling is we want to kind of break down the way that a DM tells stories in the first place. There's a couple, and I'm sure that we could add on to this list, but these, I think, are the major ways that a DM can tell a story in a game of d and I think the first big 
like storytelling method is linear or strict. I call it railroading, but it's not necessarily <laughs> a bad thing. I know railroading gets a really negative connotation in like video games or RPGs or fantasy, that kind of stuff. But it's really not really not a bad way of doing it. The biggest things is like plot points are kind of predetermined. So like the DM will create this story or create this event and the player choices don't have a ton, if anything, to do to deviate those to deviate those choices or to deviate those plans. So a great example of this of this would be this princess has been kidnapped. You're tasked with rescuing her, but at the end of it, it turns out that the the person who kidnapped the princess was always going to kill her anyways. There's nothing the players could do to actually stop that. It can make for an extremely compelling narrative because all you have to do is make the make the players invested in the princess's story or maybe whoever sent you on the quest in the first place you're really starting to relate with him and and kind of respond well to his plea and then you you arrive just a little too late in order for you know the dagger plunges in the chest and she lets out a scream and her lifeless body falls to the floor and that's the first thing you see when you enter the big bad end game character you know lair and like that's so defeating for a group of players but it really just empowers them to like now they really want to kill this guy or something like that. And so there's there's really engaging, really powerful ways of telling stories that way. You're right. And I think that railroading gets a bad rep all the time now yeah. with a lot of role players. And there is a good reason for that. Railroading can be used in a wrong way. And I think that a lot of players have experienced that wrong way. And that's why it's gotten this bad rep. And Certainly. the word railroading when it comes to role-playing games just really looked on with hate by a lot of people. But I completely agree. Railroading is not always a bad thing. I mean, as DMs, we are telling a story ourselves. And so I think coming up with plot points that are predetermined is showing that you care about the story and knowing that this might be, like you said, that princess getting killed might be a terrible thing, but sometimes tragedy leads to great experiences for the PCs to get involved with. Absolutely. There's such a there's such a melding moment in in that tragedy where the players just really come together. There's there's been a couple examples in in my game with my players to where something something bad happened to a character they liked or the situation didn't play out the way they expected through some bad roles or something, and there was genuine sadness, genuine uh, like I I really I'm really sad that it turned out the way it did because I really wanted to save this person. I really wanted to accomplish this goal. And that to me is almost more powerful than like, yeah, you saved her. Everything's happy and everything's cheery mm -hmm. because the, what they take away from that is so much stronger than I think than, than just letting them win all the time. Yeah. But again, I also agree that railroading historically is just viewed <laughs> as kind of a negative uh, storytelling method. Well, the, the absolute extreme version of this linear and strict is a DM who sits down and they see it as their game and they really don't care about what the PCs do. They're going to tell right. their story no matter what. It really doesn't matter to the point where they're a DM who might just say, you don't do that. No, I'm not going to let you do that. Or, right. you know, or has the divine God reach his hand down to pull somebody from the grips of death when it's clear that they should <laughs> absolutely die because the PCs were like, no, they shouldn't live. We're going to take them out. And you're just like, no, I'm protecting them. So at its, yeah. at its extreme, it can be terrible. But then, like you said, there, there can be a good way to do it as well. 
I think going along with that, there's linear and loose, which would be the same kind of thing. Plot points are predetermined, but the DM is willing to work and change the plots due to his PC choices. And so he may have a predetermined story in his mind, but when it comes to the players do something that he's not expecting, I think they it's that moment of asking yourself, can this change? And why not? And embracing it when it's okay for it to change and asking yourself, how does this change the story? What plot point is going to be inserting here and just being more loose with it and allowing players more choice in the game and more control of where the story goes, but Mm -hmm. still having like an overarching story to the game. Yeah. And I think that's probably at least from the the games I've experienced. This seems, I I seem to play a lot of linear and loose as a player. Mm -hmm. I've never once been a part of a, a module game. Every single game I've ever played as a player has been homebrewed. And I think that's both in- incredible and terrifying <laughs> as the DM. It's like, oh man, you have to come up with something all the time. But it's really, it, it really is a lot of fun when things play out really well, but you also feel like you played a part, which I think is what Linear and Loose really provides, is if the story is planned properly and told in such a way, it's almost like that, uh, yeah, you you took this path, but really like, I was kind of guiding you. I was kind of like the omniscient observer the whole time as the DM. And but the players don't even realize it. They think that everything they did was on them and that they got the story, their direct actions and influenced the story. And again, it it may, but it also may have been the DMs like planned the whole time. And you just (laughs) really you you feel great for almost like that self-discovery a little bit, which is that's a very, very powerful storytelling method is when you get you empower the players but the whole time it's just because of the things that you've planned that's that's really really cool as a dm i think a lot of the storytelling i've done with dming i've come to this point and i always have like this this overarching story that i want to be told but when i think of the linear and loose method which i think is a great method i often ask myself when the players make choices can this affect the world and Mm -hmm. is it something that is going to ruin the story and almost 95% of the time even more than that it's like yeah this is fine let's do this and it might change the story but ruin no it won't ruin the story it'll change it and it'll make it more catered to the players and make it so the players know that they have actually done something to lead the story in a certain direction when you start giving the getting that player ownership the bad guy's gonna die or you're gonna get away from them but you have them come up with that method that you didn't think about like dm reed mentioned or well i mentioned but whatever the misty step being the way to get out and like hearing your genuine surprise is that being a way that you hadn't thought of but then just immediately allowing it like yep you're free and having their choices help shape the story that you were already going to tell. Yeah, that's that's just so much fun for me. Like that another example would be uh just a, a little bit more background about my group of players is three of them have played D&D before. Uh, Greg the Dwarf, my buddy Josh, he is hardcore D&D nerd. Um, I got him into it, but he's far exceeded my knowledge <laughs> and my just intensity for the game. I mean, he's he, it, 
all the time we're talking about it and he's always come on with ideas he has alternate characters he's just that kind of guy <laughs> but his wife kelsey who plays brenna she had never played a DD game before so we have this really cool mix of like kind of dabbled in DD, hardcore into it and then never ever first off i didn't want the game to be like super gloom and doom serious either i kind of wanted it to be kind of lighthearted and fun and so i think like episode two i introduced this group called the pineapple gang <laughs> yes, yes you did <laughs> they are the worst group of thugs and <laughs> villains you've ever seen in your life they're just a horrible they're they're a hot mess of a group is really what they are now i have a, I have a quick question for you with that sure was that completely planned because i don't know listening it made it it seemed like you kind of had them planned to be terrible but that the roles turned out even worse than you had expected that was definitely the case uh <laughs> they were they were always meant to not be this huge threat they were yeah. just going to kind of be like a once or twice off group of villains that they ran into because they didn't really even know much about how to do combat i mean at this point and so i was more just like here's how you fight human characters that can respond <laughs> to your actions and not just like animals and dogs and stuff so they were so bad they were basically like the tutorial enemy <laughs> exactly like this is when the the ui pops up saying press a to yep. swing your sword <laughs> yeah i mean that's what the that's the whole plan with these villains and what ended up happening was the i think the last time i was actually ever planning on using them when they were just eventually going to be so bad and the, the players eventually like got high enough level to where the pineapple gang was no longer really ever a threat. Brenna, the bard, she decided to charm one of them and ask him about like their leadership structure. <laughs> now I have to come up with like some plot and backstory for these guys. So I just made up this nonsense on the spot. Like, oh yeah, it's run by this guy named James. He's got a ponytail. And they're like, oh, we got to find this guy. <laughs> he's so important. I'm just like, no, he's really not. But okay, you can, you can go find him and stuff. And it, it ended up being this giant saga, yep. this like 30 plus episode saga that the group focused on this entire time. And if I had my way, they would not be focusing on the pineapple <laughs> gang. I mean, just the name alone is absurd, but they, they were determined that this was going to be something they wanted to do. And like a story thread, they wanted to really like put the, like put a bow on. And so I just, I came up with, uh, you know, in, in, in between sessions, I came up with some like deeper plot motivations, areas of influence, who they work for, blah, blah, blah. And it eventually became like one of my favorite things because they had the foresight to say like, oh, you know, who do you work for? And I go, I, uh, I don't know, but let's, <laughs> let's figure this out together. <laughs> Before we move on and Neil tells us about another form of DM storytelling, I do have to, since you brought up the Pineapple Gang, just say that one of my favorite things from your your actual play is your names that you come up with. <laughs> oh, like gosh. the the vegetable store, Hummus Among Us, and oh, Hummus Among Us. My <laughs> absolute favorite is the I think it's a I think it's a bar, yes. the Tequila yes. Mockingbird. Tequila I, Mockingbird, yeah. That's... I will be stealing that one for oh, a home feel free. game that, or something because that is just so brilliant. <laughs> Very few things I actually like really just pour over. Before like, I like, I tend to play uh, a different form of storytelling with my characters that we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, but I, I really focus uh, very, very strongly on names, mm -hmm. uh, both uh, NPC names, store names, locations. Every, I, I like all of that stuff to have a purpose. I like it to be memorable or just, you know, something something unique to it, not just like the vegetable store. <laughs> and so if I was just very early on, I decided uh, when they went to this first city, uh, Antwood, when they went to Antwood, I said, I'm going to come up with like a name for every shop there. And I just, I, I just, I don't know. 
<laughs> the, the, the wackiness started coming to me and it just kind of spilled over and i i kind of the players responded well to it so i just kind of like made that a thing for every city i was just like i'm just every city is gonna have like these kind of unique wacky little uh tavern names or restaurants or stuff like that and it's <laughs> i don't know it's it's just been it's been really fun and now they challenge me though is when they when when we go <laughs> to a place that we're, that i didn't really plan on them being at and they ask oh what's the name of this place i go dang it <laughs> now i have to come up with something because i needed to live up to hummus right. among us and tequila mockingbird <laughs> so for the next one we have the multi-linear which is essentially just multiple different ways to get the same end i know a great example of that were the first adventures that were coming out for DD fifth edition where you essentially had three paths three people you could follow and whatever path you went the old, the end was essentially the same one of them turns into a big evil monster but who did you help along the way shapes the adventure that you have as the people playing it so that's I mean, it's another way to go about it and it, i mean again you could do a lot more with following the pineapple gang who by the way always make me think of the lemonhead people from adventure time oh gosh <laughs> maybe a little less grotesque yeah, because maybe a having, having giant like lemon-faced people would be a little terrifying i don't but think that little. the pineapple gang eats each other but <laughs> just <laughs> no. just throwing it out there <laughs> some of them are probably dumb enough to where they would i don't know they're the pineapple gang's a they're just they're all kinds of stupid that's getting into some really dark walking dead territory right there yeah we, <laughs> like i said tend to keep mine a little more lighthearted. Yeah. so this multi-linear is like the plot is predetermined but as a dm you already have put into your story plot points that are points where your pcs will make important decisions and so you've kind of made different lines of where the story can go determined by what the pcs choose if they choose to fight in a civil war and they choose to fight on this army or this army you're going to have two different outcomes to that i think this is this is really, really like if you're getting into a whole campaign that's planned like with a multi-linear, like I, I think I tried this when I was early on DMing and it's mm -hmm. just like it's really a lot of work to put in like the more like you go, oh, what oh, could yeah. they make a choice of this? And then what what happens when they make that choice? And then what often happens is the players make a choice that you're you're not even expecting them to do. And what I found with multilinear is that you end up being frustrated because you put so much work into all the outcomes and you're like, they didn't even choose any of those outcomes. Certainly. Oh, man. that was my first DMing experience. I put so much work into the story and the, the lore of the world. And I got the players' histories like super integrated into the world choices and the world decisions and stuff like that. So kind of just to summarize that there's like elves had gone extinct, but one of the players was an elf. Yeah. And he, he but he didn't know that like elves had gone extinct because he even in his background, he told me I've, I like grew up in the woods, kind of had no family kind of thing. I was like, perfect. This fits in automatically. And he did not at all decide to play into the fact that his race was extinct and he was like, <laughs> quote unquote, the last lone survivor. He was just like, yeah, I just want to do what I want to do. I go, okay. Like, <laughs> I put all this time into like this elf extinction background and you're just completely ignoring it. <laughs> My character it. doesn't care about that. <laughs> yeah, no, he just, 
He just wants to play his harp or whatever he played. Gosh. Best elf ever. <laughs> I'm the last elf. Move on. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, that's the thing. He has, he has no idea what elf culture or anything is because he's the only elf. So he's just like, I decide nice. what elves do now. <laughs> yeah, I like it this way. This is great. Uh, I think when I think of multilinear, uh, Neil, like you brought up the adventures, the modules you were talking about. I think of that, and I also think of those make-your-own-adventure books. You know what I'm talking mm. about? Like the, And yep. you'd come to yeah. – it's a turn to page this or that, and you'd find out what happened when you made a choice. I didn't move my finger. I didn't move it. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, because right. you'd turn and you'd be you'd like, like – oh, You'd no. have like four fingers all throughout the pages of the book, like looking at all the different options. Yep. Yeah, I, I go to the basement, turn to page five – Oh no, a ghost killed me. All right, I didn't make that choice. I didn't really <laughs> no, that make that the, choice. As a mulligan. <laughs> I also think of like uh, a lot of video games are like this. Skyrim, Mass Effect, like they have predetermined whatever the choice you make, what it does to the story. And like I said, mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's a lot harder to do as a as a DM running a story with players who don't have choice a b and c but have a b c and then they create d e and f and so on and right. so forth you play a game like skyrim or mass effect you're immediately blown away by like the detail of the world and yeah. how cohesive it feels just like man this seems so well thought out you're never as a dm like an unpaid dm gonna come up with something on that caliber because these are insane storytellers but you tr- you you, you want to make something that's compelling to your players and something that feels grand and epic which you almost forget in this like creation process is yeah but as a player of like mass effect you're still operating within the bounds of the game like i can't just like leave the ship and go do whatever i want to do now because at this point in the game i can't leave the (laughs) ship but in D and D, there's like all plot points, all holes, like they just kind of fly out the window. Mm-hmm. And so the, the the players can do whatever they want if you let them. And like in this multilinear way of storytelling, it says you give them the the multiple outcomes, and it's it just it's, it branches and balloons to a point that's almost unmanageable for me. Yeah, especially if you like the further you plan ahead, the further it's it's just putting more and more and more mm-hmm. work on it. That mm-hmm. being said, to each his own, and I'm sure there are. DMs out there who love multilinear storytelling and do that with a great passion. I think when you're like Neil, you just we're talking about modules. I think multilinear for making your own module is a good idea. Like that's a good thing to put in. Like if they make this choice, this happens, or if they make this choice, this happens. So that you, yeah. as a if you're running somebody else's module, you can get an idea of okay, this is this would be the outcome for this. Beyond that, you know, whereas. With multilinear, we have multiple plot points where you you get into like sandbox style storytelling, and this is like the 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 wheels have fallen off. Everything is just fair game, <laughs> and this is very much PC driven. Yes, uh, it's almost like the DM just shows up and say, "Okay, what do you want to do?" Not here's here's the the setting, here's the situation. Now solve it, but rather you tell me, and we'll kind of go through this together. And that to me is both really empowering as a player but also really terrifying as a dm (laughs) yeah really difficult if you are a dm who doesn't want to just show up at the table with nothing planned to sit down at a table and try to plan out a session where you're like i'm letting my players go and do whatever they want to do Mm -hmm. it's so terribly impossible you you can come up with little things and well i hope that if they go to a a place and ask about a rumor i can give them this rumor about this thing and maybe they can go this way but 
you need to kind of have a sense of the world, especially if you're playing in a homebrew world. You really have to have a sense of where things are in the world and what the cultures are like and what the towns are like, or you're going to be sitting there doing a lot of, um, um, give me a second, guys. Can we take a five-minute break yeah. while I can figure this out? <laughs> I can't even imagine doing that with a homebrew world without having a homebrew world that you've been establishing for a really long time <laughs> and put some like really hard effort into because they're going to go with places you don't know and – I, you know what? I mean, there's obviously people that do it. It's an option that we've all heard of. I've never experienced it. I'm not going to lie. I don't really want to experience it <laughs> from either side of the screen, but mm-hmm. it just sounds it just sounds like it would be rough. For a DM in a sandbox style is it puts so much pressure on the players to where I don't know that I would necessarily want to play in that game because if my game, is if Sneak Attack was 100% sandbox, then I know that it would be the most boring podcast in the world <laughs> because I have two players, Akio and Sherwood, the the wizard and the druid, who are kind of along for the ride. They are great characters and they have their own motivations, but they are never compelled to actually like make the decision or to go out and actively seek out something on their own. That's really just not how they play. But then you have Greg, who could definitely like fit into a sandbox world as a player. I, I feel like he could yeah. come up with enough to totally drive the story almost without without any other yeah. prodding. If you had four Greyx or five Greyx in the game who all it, that somehow fit together well and didn't just completely butt heads as a team, then I think it could work. Because I would consider Sneak Attack kind of a mix of linear and loose and sandbox, which sounds a little weird, but the way I the way I try and construct the world is I know what's going on in, in the world. I Sneak Attack is the world of Brannis consists of five like island style continents like Australia. And there's five of them all throughout the world. And I know how each five operate. I know the political leanings. I know their like cultural motivations, what they specialize in, just how they behave with other races. I know how all that works because before the podcast actually went live, I spent like three or four months just working all this out. Mm-hmm. And so... If a player magically decided, like, I'm going to teleport into this place, I could probably bluff my way through it. I would much rather (laughs) have something prepared. But (laughs) and I think like in later episodes where the story gets very player driven in sneak attack, you can kind of see that a little bit where I kind of just say, "Okay, I need you to tell me what you want to do. And then I kind of dictate how things go once they tell me that. And so it does require a ton of a ton of planning. But at the same time, like. For me, I just have a list of like NPCs or a list of towns or a list of blah, blah, blah that almost are like plug and play. I have a a whole like two whole pages of in my notebook of just player name or NPC names that I've come up with, you know, just randomly. And next to them, I'll just have like a little like personality quirk or something like that or a little like brief description about them. So that way, if my players say, uh, oh, yeah, I want to I want to hitch a ride with this chicken farmer. And that's something that's because that's yeah. something they do. Apparently, <laughs> I can just flip to a page and say, oh, yeah, I mean, I can kind of like make this guy work. And so it, it gives them the freedom to kind of play the game how they want to play, to do what they want to do and go where they want to go. But at the same time, I fake preparedness, as I like to call it, <laughs> to the point to where, yeah, they can't really tell that I didn't have it planned. But to me, it just comes from a really solid understanding of how the world works or at least where they're playing how that all fits together in like a geopolitical or a cultural kind of 
understanding. I started off the Riders of Shemesh campaign, which a lot of our listeners know from Storytime, as a sandbox game because that was something that one of my players specifically said they really wanted to to do and man it it was difficult even with the the knowledge that i have of my own world whether it's Mm -hmm. up in my head or like on a hard drive it's just hard especially when when players say they want to when they want to play a sandbox and then they run into the uh i don't know i don't know what i want to do right now right (laughs) no it it, like it relies so much on your players that you almost you almost like get frustrated like no i could plan something but you said you didn't want to (laughs) and that that campaign had a couple real sandboxy games and then I just fell back into the linear and loose and we started telling a story and and I'll I'll talk a little bit more about that later but yeah sandbox is difficult it's mm-hmm. not bad when we're talking about a video game I want a sandbox game certainly when we're talking about especially if I'm behind the DM screen sandboxing is not something that I'm going to lean towards mm-hmm. but anyway uh, this leads us into something Uh, else a different way a dm can tell a story in a game and that's just complete improvisation this is a game that's completely completely pc driven with pc choices leading to plot development this is a game that you it's sandbox to the max it's you aren't coming up with ideas of rumors that they could hear or whatever you're basically coming to the table no notes no nothing uh you might have like you you might have the books like so you can pull out monsters or whatever it is but you're coming in just going all right well the pcs are going to make decisions and the story is going to come from that yeah nowhere else i've got no notes and it's going to be completely improvised you almost kind of just become like the rules police at that point (laughs) like you're just the guy who sits there says like uh yeah i mean that like you you can't breathe underwater for 10 minutes or just, you know, like, oh, okay. You just kind of create the boundaries of, like, the physics and the, the, the rules of the world. And then, but you just let them populate it with whatever they want. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the DM can absolutely give in ideas and, like, they're still telling the story. But, yeah, I agree. All the ideas are spawning from whatever the, the PCs do and whatever mm-hmm. they choose. It's not, like, something that you've already lined up. It's nothing to do with that. It's, oh, they did that and kind of improving off of that and going that makes me think that this happens or this npc shows up or whatever it is that to me is something like you were saying read that sandboxing sounds scary complete improvisation sounds scary to me i've done it before and those are the games that uh me and my friends look back and we laugh about and some of them are great experiences and some of them are like Oh man, that was that was just awful. <laughs> that did yeah. not turn out good. I can't see a scenario where you don't have your players end up being the epitome of the murder hobo because like what are they going to do? Like what it's like what big goals could they have that you would respect in that like complete improvisation scenario? <laughs> At that point it almost seems just like the smallest thing becomes a victory. Yeah. Like <laughs> I mean, it, oh, you you found a guy to sell your sword to. Congratulations. That's a huge <laughs> accomplishment in this world because who knows if there's going to be a sword guy, like a sword salesman around the corner. <laughs> I want to completely improvise on monsters, just like, and you're fighting and then just open to like a random page in the monster manual, put my finger down. Oh, a red dragon. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Everything lives off a percentage yep, dice roll. Exactly. Whoa, and I, I know I know DMs who have done that and 
and I personally, that's I don't understand it. But there is really good stuff that can come out of a complete improvisation game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go back and listen to our uh, improvisation podcast with James D'Amato for more on that. That, that was a great episode, by the yeah, way. I yeah. really enjoyed that one. I have to agree. It was really good. Here, just running down the list once more, we have linear and strict, linear and loose, multilinear, sandbox, and complete improvisation. Now, we talked a lot about these, and I think we would all agree that none of these are bad or wrong. Oh, totally agree. Totally agree. To each his own. You as a DM, when you DM, you're going to figure out which one of these or which two or three, which ones of these you fit into. And so I want to ask you guys, which one of these, if you had to pick one of these, which one of these do you think most describes you as a DM, as a storyteller? I'd have to lean on linear and loose. Just because of, I love world building. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's just such a huge passion of mine to come up with interesting and new ways to tell kind of like a familiar story. Like everyone knows that dwarves are like this. Everyone knows that elves are like this, but I'm going to like put a little spin on yeah. it. I love the the ability to do that, but I never, ever want to strip the freedom to like make plot points or make plot decisions. Uh, I never want to take that away from my players. So I, I would probably fall more in the linear and loose. What about you, Neil? Yeah, that's probably the same for me as well, because as you know, I'm running that super dungeon. And so this dungeon itself is extremely linear. I mean, the only way to get to the next level is to go through the level before it. Mm-hmm. But anytime they pop up and go to that town, it's free game. They've done some stuff that I regret. I let them do, but I let them do it. And so... <laughs> But, you know, so going back and forth between those and even within the plot lines of the Super Dungeon, allowing them to mold and shape how that goes. So linear and loose for me. I'm going to be completely boring and say I am the exact same thing as you guys are, linear and loose. And for a lot of the same reasons, I know for me, when planning out a session, it is exactly that. It's plot points that I've written down, we see how the players react to those plot points and what changes in the story after they've made their decisions with those plot points. And I'll go into my computer and I'll change things up afterwards because it's like, all right, that happened and I think that was great, so let's see how that affects the story. But linear and loose has been the way that I, I have found that's where I fit into as far as being a DM. Yeah, I just feel like it, it it creates a really fun and interesting dynamic between the DM and the players that you may not get in many of the other options. So again, not to say that any of them are wrong or bad, because I listen to I listen to about five or six actual play podcasts, and I listen all the way from linear and strict down to complete improvisation. Mm-hmm. And I love them all for different reasons. So it really just comes down to like group dynamic, how you feel comfortable as a DM and just your storytelling method. And I think that's a good point. Like you listen to a bunch of actual plays where they do all different kinds. And I'm sure you would say that you've grown as a, as a DM in listening and learning. And I would say that it's it's important too as a DM to every now and then stretch ourselves. And if you're like, oh, I I pretty much only do multi-linear, maybe try sandbox. Mm-hmm. Maybe try linear and loose. Maybe try complete improvisation, whatever it is. Branch out and you might even find that you fit in well somewhere else as well. Give it a try. Oh, I totally agree because just in one of our more recent episodes – I gave my characters the, the the option of doing something that I just I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have expected. I just I said like go go into this area and talk to these people, and I I mean I didn't really even have 
have much planned. And when they went up and like, oh, I need to look for a guard or someone who has information. <laughs> I, had, I had one of those moments. I, oh, I didn't plan on you talking to this person. I need to come up with something. <laughs> and quite possibly my favorite NPC I've ever made came from that little like serendipitous moment yeah it was like this joe pesci meets you know boston con man <laughs> type of character he's a fast talking halfling guard who's like double dealing against the the city he works awesome. for and it's this he's so fun to play as as the dm and if i, if I wouldn't have just been a, a little like fast and loose with how i play the game that never would have happened i just could, to, could have totally played it safe and just be like oh yeah hi how can i help but instead i just wanted to give him like just something that they could remember mm-hmm. Exactly. And this really fun character kind of came from that. In our most recent episode, Sherwood, he just got this spell, but he didn't tell me he got it. So uh, he likes to pull uh, he likes to pull fast ones on me like that. <laughs> he he got the spell speak with plants, which is what I would consider to be a next to useless spell. <laughs> it's just it's so specific in how it can be used or just the situations that it can actually be useful but it it turned into this this situation cuz one of the characters went missing and so they needed some information on like where did he go what was he under a spell blah 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 and so Sherwood walks up into this into his rented room finds a fern sitting on the windowsill and has like this really like detective noir kind of conversation <laughs> with it where he threatens to unplot the unpot the plant and it's just it's so insane and wacky but the entire table was just like crying from laughter because of how he played it and it's just if i was linear and strict if i was if i played any other way I would have missed that uh, th- that amazing moment. Our our listeners would have missed it, and we got just a ton of feedback on Twitter and stuff like that, saying like this is one of the best moments of the podcast. I, I was I I looked like a crazy person laughing on the bus because you know Sherwood was talking to this house plant, and I'm just it's stuff like that that I'm just like I'm so proud of my players of like being creative and like constantly keeping me on my toes. Five years after the podcast is dead, we will still talk about that moment because of how fun it was yeah. at the time. Yeah. To play linear and strict or something like that that would have like removed that option, like that seems so detrimental to me now. <laughs> We've already talked a lot about it in talking about what different kinds of ways a DM can tell a story. But let's talk about what we came to talk about today, player-influenced storytelling. First of all, what is it that we mean when we say player-influenced storytelling? I think for me, specifically in our in our campaign, the Pineapple Gang is a perfect representation of what player influence storytelling is. They determine to me what is important and what is valuable to them, what information uh, they want to they want to pursue, what characters they want to get to know better or storylines they want to pursue. I kind of take the shotgun approach with with information. I just kind of put it all out there. I, I hit a very, very wide net. And they just find little pieces of it and say, okay, I want to kind of follow this one. The other ones I don't really care about and say, okay, that was a miss. <laughs> but they, the, the one that hits and connects with them is what they really latch onto. And then I kind of develop the story around that. And so for me, that's really important to, to give our, my players that, that level of freedom. And like you said, Neil, that ownership. I feel like what they're doing in the campaign and in the game really makes a difference. I think we don't really go through an episode without saying know your players. I mean, that harkens back to which style that we should choose. And this as well. Like, if you see your players latching onto an NPC, make that NPC more important. Or if they're trying to figure out and completely unravel the hilarious pineapple gang, you as the DM need to know that and respect and embrace what they're, what they're enjoying and make mm-hmm. more out of it. Make an, 
Like maybe there's the pineapple forest gang and the pineapple mountain gang. And now they have to try and overthrow this entire network of pineapple people. And that sounds way more. Neil, you're blowing my mind. <laughs> sorry, sorry. You're blowing my mind, Neil. Different pineapple factions. I love it. Yeah, like you said, uh, like with the NPCs and everything, you want to embrace what the players themselves embrace. And it's really easy if you're looking for that as the DM to watch and see what the players get really excited about and latch onto. Like you said, Reed, there was a, a guard who just became like one of your favorite NPCs and you weren't even planning about mm-hmm. using them. I can't even tell how many times that has happened to me in DMing. Stomp the Goblin, who is the logo for our podcast, was not supposed to be a NPC that the characters latched onto. In fact, there was a predetermined other NPC that they were supposed to latch onto. They freed these two slaves, a Goblin and Kabold, they were supposed to get attached to the kobold because the kobold actually spoke common where the, the goblin just made noises. Oh. <laughs> and, of course, the first thing they say to the kobold is they're like, you're free. Go on. Get out of here. <laughs> and then they then they take in this <laughs> goblin who doesn't speak. And it became one of it. It was one of my top three NPCs of all time. And it, I know for my players, like it was a couple of them would say the exact same thing. I know one of my players would say, I've never liked an NPC more than stop the goblin, but yeah. you want to embrace what they embrace, whether that's an NPC or whether that's a plot point, a, uh, an adventure, like, like the pineapple gang, something that you weren't expecting, but you see that they're excited about it and you go along with it. And that is, that is a story mm-hmm. that is player influenced because they're the ones that dictated that that story actually even came and kept going. And the same thing with that NPC that the NPC keeps coming back and that sometimes it's something that the players literally don't influence, but they make happen. I go to visit this NPC because I want to. Yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah, that happens yeah. all the time. And you, you just feel good as a DM knowing that something that you came up with that, you know, good or bad when you when you're coming up with it, we all have ideas. We're like, all right, this will just be kind of like, you know, the the skeleton to get them to the real meat of the story. But then they latch onto the skeleton for some reason. You're just <laughs> like, I don't know why, but they're happy with it. And y- you can see on their face, you can see through their interactions that they're that they're really responding well. And it's just it's such a positive like give and take relationship that just it, I mean there are times let's be honest there are times when you're DMing where you think nothing's going right this story is falling flat they're not picking up on my cues and again I don't really want to railroad them because that's just not how I DM so like it, it just feels like nothing's working but then when it does click and when they totally see how it's working or there's this combination of what what I'm doing and they're they're adding to it and we just kind of build off of it as a as a unit that's just like I said you can't get that through a movie you can't get that through a board game or a video game it's just it's it's so inherently exclusive to this communal storytelling medium if somebody were to ask us right now why is player influenced storytelling an important thing something that we as DMs and GMs should embrace what are some reasons that we would give I think First of all, I would point out that D&D is a story, which if it was just a story, I would say, well, as a DM, go ahead and tell your story. Don't worry about what the players are doing. <laughs> but it's not just a story. It's also a game mm-hmm. and it's also a role playing experience. And in a story, the choices of the main characters who are the players of this game, they should matter. In, in Lord of the Rings, the choices that the Fellowship makes 
totally matters to that story. Mm-hmm. The same thing with if you're if it's a game, which it is, the choices of the players playing a game should determine the outcome. Like think of any board game and do choices matter? Absolutely. Think of any video game. Do choices matter? Yes. Without those choices, you're not going to win. You're not going to lose whatever the outcome is. And then lastly, as a role-playing experience, the role player's choices are crucial because they're putting themselves into a character. And with that, their choices need to have some sort of outcome some sort of consequence some sort of reward or it it really doesn't matter to them as a role player right i mean if if your whole goal is just to tell a story that you only want to participate in and you only want to contribute to then just write a book yeah exactly right i mean you leave the players out of it you know there's no point just write it down and publish it somewhere the fact of the matter is that D D is irrelevant without the players yeah we we as dms can come up with the best worlds and the best stories and the most inventive characters and battles and all kinds of fantasy stuff. But if we don't have players to populate the world, we're just talking to ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose you could play D and D as the DM and play, play four characters yourself around a table. But once you're getting to that point, that's like playing chess. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Once you're getting to that point, like that's the thing I, I've, I know people who have played chess by themselves Yeah, and like, if you're good, if you're good enough and you're not just weird to do that, that's kind of cool. But somebody going, Oh, I play D and D with myself and I play all the characters and all the, and I play the DM. That's you probably should speak to somebody about that. If that's that's happening. (laughs) find a group of people who want to play with you. (laughs) That's all that matters. Just find people. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. Like players are so important. And if you're not giving players choices, they're, they're probably going to stop playing with you and you won't get bored in a hurry. And that's Mm -hmm. important. Yeah. You've essentially invited these players to your table to be the protagonist of your story. Mm -hmm. Like if you're not willing to have some form of back and forth with them, it's like you said, go write a book, go write a, uh, like a module, go write something, it's almost not fair because it's like this unspoken contract between you and your players that there's going to be some should be some give and take <laughs> yeah. hopefully. you say hey guys do you want to come play D with me you don't say hey guys do you want to come sit around a table and hear me tell a story and you guys just sit there and you say what i want you to say and you do what i want you to do yeah it's like you give everyone a script <laughs> when they show up or something like that <laughs> yeah if you did that there wouldn't be too many people playing D no. out there if that's what the dm was supposed to do I also think it's important because speaking, I I know, Reed, you said you love world building. Mm-hmm. I, too, love world building. Neil, you are building a world with all the forum users right now, and it's going fantastic. World building is something that I think a lot of DMs love doing. And one of the greatest things is to sit there as a DM and be playing in your world, to be explaining something in your world, whatever it is, you have created this awesome world. And to see your players get excited about it Mm -hmm. to one of the best experiences I've had as a DM are probably even outside of the game. When I'm sitting down with my players and they're like you said, read with like fans writing in, they're theorizing about certain things in the world. They're like arguing about things. They're, they're trying to figure out things. Some of the greatest DM experiences are out of games when people are actually, they're still talking about something that is something that you've made up. Yeah. But one of the best ways to get your players engaged in your story and in your world is to give them 
influence in that world to make their PCs matter, to make their choices matter. I don't think there's anything better you can do than to give your players ownership and to give them a little bit of deciding factor and how and how the story plays out. As as soon as you give them that, they're gonna they're gonna totally take it and run with it. And your world gets better, your story gets better by allowing them to help influence it. I think it pays off too, not just in the campaign that you play in, but if you play in a world that you're planning on using multiple times, if you as the DM embrace that the PCs matter and they're doing things in the world that matter, then they're becoming part of that world's history. And so down the line, when you're playing in a whole different campaign, your players could go potentially to a library and read a book by one of their PCs. Yeah. I'm a huge proponent for putting in cameos into your D&D games when you play a different campaign and you play in the same world and dropping in little things about past PCs. Those are huge moments I've noticed for my players. It doesn't have to be big. It could be something really small like finding a book that a PC has written or one time my my players went into a destroyed temple that had a statue of one of the players and it wasn't a statue like they worshiped him it was like a this is a saint of this this god and the statue was like half broken the like only the feet remained but you could kind of make out the writing and it was like such a huge moment for the player who was like that that's one of my pcs from the past that's awesome yeah but i mean there's no better way to get your players to like just soak in your story and your world than to give them ownership of it. Yeah, that's why for me, integrating their backstory with the world history is really, really important because I know for a couple of my players, they kind of struggled coming up with backstories like Sherwood and Akio, the wizard and the druid. They want to be there, contribute, but not necessarily drive the story. We've actually recently just wrapped up uh, all of our character episodes. It's, we've, we've, we've been releasing one a month mm-hmm. about each player's background and how they got to where they are. And so getting all that information is so helpful. And to be able to integrate that it, like just naturally into the story as they're playing, they'll, they'll just like this light bulb moment be like, oh, I know that. Like, I know that name. Because, like, I just, like, jotted it on a piece of paper when I made my character, not thinking it meant anything. But now, all of a sudden, like, it's this big, important thing to this to the player. And they are so much more invested in what you're in the story you're unfolding now. I, I haven't found a better way of, like, creating that deep yearning to find out more. Like, oh, I just I really want to peel back all the layers to this world now or to this this story or this problem. Then just by, like, just nibbling, just giving a little hint at... Brenna, this book was written by this name, and it's like her grandfather. And she goes, oh my gosh, I really want to know everything. I like. I, I want to read all of his books. I want to know what he was writing about. I want to go to where he wrote them. And like all just because I said, this guy wrote the book. You know, and, like, and she's automatically populating the world with all these ideas now. So one of the ways that you can do this in your game and you can make it something that's more prevalent in your game, having players influence the story, I think, is by getting off to a good start with your campaigns. Everybody who listens to the podcast knows that I'm a huge fan of making a character creation night where you don't sit down and play the game right off the bat, but you sit down and you create characters as a group and you as a DM can help them kind of understand a little bit of what is going to be happening at the beginning of the campaign, not giving any plot points away, but maybe Mm -hmm. tell them a little bit about the land they're starting at and the town and work with them to build a 
a backstory so that you as the DM know where they're coming from and they know where they're coming from and you can help them fit their backstory into the world that it makes sense, but give them that you're making a backstory. And I, I found that it's just one of the one of the best nights because it's just it's world building with your players and it's character building with your players. So one of the first things you can do is you can you can build a story that is built around your PCs because character creation night will give you a really good idea of who your playable characters are and what your players want from them. When you're just bouncing ideas off each other, you know, going through the process, I think we've all had those moments of just heads down over a table with your with your character (laughs) sheet and all the books spread out everywhere just like really like oh well what if he what if he did this and what if he he had this amulet but he didn't really know what the amulet was for is passed down from his father and blah 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 as the the players they're just tossing around all these ideas pouring through the books just having fun and but me i'm just like sitting back taking notes i go oh yeah like that'd be really fun I'd, i'd love to integrate that into the story and you're absolutely right to build a story around the pcs just makes the world that much richer it makes the engagement that much better for the players and I just don't think that there's it's it's so easy just to get them immediately involved and like on board with what you're doing a good example for for sneak attack was I had the dwarven history I wrote that out because uh Josh who plays Greg he wanted to know he wanted to know everything about the dwarven history and I said okay I'll write (laughs) out the dwarven history it took me like a couple days to put it all on paper and I sent it to him and he sent me back this this epic, this just enormous email of everything that he that he as a character, how he felt about different things that happened through like in the history of in history of the Dwarven race, like whether or not he thought this person was right or this person was wrong, like for taking this side or that and all this stuff. And so whenever our players eventually, hopefully, fingers crossed, go to the Dwarven island, I immediately all the work has pretty much been done for me. Because I know exactly the the plot points and the buttons I want to press in order to immediately draw them in and to sell this world as, oh, this is very, A, very interesting, very developed, but B, very personal right off the bat Mm -hmm. where they can step off the boat and immediately feel like I know what's going on here. I feel like even though I'm just arriving, I, I feel automatically like I'm a part of this and I have a deeper understanding of what's going on. I think that's a great example of the fact that you're having a Mm one-on-one with one of your players. And I think that if you can do that as a DM, that makes it even better because there are things that some players would know that others do not Mm -hmm. like the full Dwarven history. Obviously that's not going to be afforded to every player, especially if it's also fears and motivations and things like that, that the players want to keep secret. I know a good example is Titan's Grave from Will Wheaton, where he pulled every player aside and actually a pair of players that had grown up together and they talked about their fears and motivations. And that way it was only the ones that knew prior to the game starting knew those fears and motivations. So then when they came up, you got to see the other players experience finding these things out at the table Mm -hmm. i've done that as a as a dm and i've said i want to know here here's a note card please tell me your goals tell me your biggest fears tell me who the npcs are from your backstory that are important to you whether that's family friends whatever they are tell me the things you hate and i think a big theme that we've been talking about so far has been giving your players choices and letting those choices matter but it's also 
something when you were talking about player influence stories. It also has to do with DM choices, because if you know what their goals are and what their fears are and what their loves and their hates are and what the, who the NPCs that they love, who the NPCs that they hate are, then you as a DM can make a choice to go, I'm going to make this crucial to the story. I'm going to bring this about. I had a PC one time on their note card write in that their biggest fear was teddy bears. Now, <laughs> there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that that player wrote that down because they wanted to see teddy bears come up somewhere in the story. There's no way that player wrote, uh, uh, my greatest fear is teddy bears. I really hope that the DM doesn't come up with something for right. teddy bears. I'd, hate, like, I'd really hate to see teddy yeah, bears in the story gonna now. It's going to be so <laughs> stupidly apparent that he read it on my card, and that's the only reason it's in the game. Like the, like, the player obviously wanted to see teddy bears in the game. Whether it came up once or twice, whatever it was, they want it to eventually happen. They wanted me to know that that was a fear of theirs, but it comes, it's not just about the player's choice. It's about the DM's choice as well. And choosing to make those PCs and the things that they have loved and the things they fear a part of the story. Yeah. It's really easy to, I think kind of overlook some details your PCs give you that you can use later on for those really important or impactful moments. Like you could have just saw the teddy bears written on there and just kind of laughed it off as like, Oh, like he's just trying to be funny <laughs> or, or something. But when you actually, you pay attention and this is really important in game, you pay attention to how they, how your PCs respond to different races, different characters, different like character alignments. Are they good? Are they bad? How do they respond to good or bad? And you can build some really important and really impactful NPCs or world events based around these little trends that you've picked up. And so it's really, it's really, really cool when you can, you can take something like that and actually turn it into an important story event or a not so important story event, just something really fun and silly. But I think that's one of those things where, you know, you're talking about the teddy bears because it obviously meant something like you were able to integrate it to where it's a memorable story now. And I think if you can take one thing away from a D&D campaign, it's just those types of interactions and those types of situations that we will remember for years afterwards. Exactly, exactly. So one of the important things that we want to talk about is creating that atmosphere that your players will engage back and forth. Because if you don't have that player engagement, a lot of this kind of falls by the wayside if they're not willing to tell you the things that you want to, not that you want to hear, but you, the ideas you want to get from them. A big way to do that is asking for player description. You know, and so they meet the guard. Let them tell you what the guard looks like. What race is it? What does he look like? Is he missing an eye? Just play into whatever they come up with. Or there's an emblem for a thieves' guild or a wizard's guild. Let them tell you what that emblem looks like because there's so much you could take from just a simple emblem as to what that guild actually looks like. I think there's a whole lot of things that you that you're doing here. It gives them ownership. It also as a as a DM, if you can embrace this asking the players for descriptions, there's so many times where the players say, oh, like uh, Reed, you were saying the players try to test you and they say, well, what's the store's name? Like, what's this name? <laughs> like <laughs> just being flipping it on them, being like, well, why don't you tell what is the store's name? 
what what does this it's, it's NPC written in look common. like? You can see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You tell me what the store's name is. It gives them ownership, and it can also take the heat off of you of those in moment like I need to pull something out of my butt. What is this going? What's going on mm-hmm. right now? Who is this NPC going to be here? This NPC is not that important to the story yet. So let me give you ownership over it. Take it. And I think lastly, and this doesn't have to do with encouraging player influence storytelling, but I think there's a little bit of asking for players descriptions of things, a little bit of training people as DMs, like possibly in the future that could be like throwing it in there. But oh, totally. Like you, you I think as a DM, you have to know your players well enough before you start just like having them really start coming up with stuff like this. Cause (laughs) if I were to throw this at, you know, uh, Sherwood or something like that in my game, he would just say, no, you tell me he would just immediately (laughs) fire back and say, not going to do it. But I know if I were to throw it at gray or dwarf, he would absolutely just eat it up. So I've, I've never actually gone that route to say, Hey, you tell me what you see, but that's really like, that's really compelling way of looking at it is just, really letting them kind of paint the picture along with me of like, I've, I've got you into this city. I've got you into this environment. Now you kind of populate it yourself a little bit. I think that's real. That's a really, really cool idea. So the other thing is to embrace what the players embrace, because you could, I mean, if they give you an idea and you can tell how good that idea is in their mind and embracing it, like if they get super excited about the guild that they're telling you about, make it more important again the pineapple guild is a great example and my personal one is that there was an npc goblin that i don't know i think that's what every party does they latched on to and i had to make up a name for him his name was mug merch and he ended up he ended up murdering another npc that they tried to convince to join their party and i was like no you guys love mug merch they ended up spending like the last of their gold to revive him because he died because he's just a goblin <laughs> but like it really embracing mug merch and then i let them start training him so eventually i was going to give him class levels because he was training underneath the players so and they love mug merch. He was, I think, he was more important to the players than the other players. Were, <laughs> For some reason, with with that chicken farmer that they hitched a ride with, uh, my players hitched a ride with early on in the campaign. Akio, the wizard, he bought a chicken from this guy. I don't know what his intention was when he bought the chicken. He just said, oh, do you have a chicken for sale? I want to buy one. And so he he, <laughs> he walked out of that carriage ride with a chicken, and. That that stupid chicken has, for some reason, transcended the podcast medium, and he's become loved by fans, <laughs> and our, our players would easily lay down their lives to save this chicken. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, we, ha- we had a poll on Twitter to vote for the name of the chicken, I kid you not. I don't know why things resonate the way they do, but I'm so glad that they have the option to resonate because without it, we would have lost some really fun interaction with the fans. Akio would be, I mean, he'd be a little directionless. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's just really, it's this really cool thing. You just, I saw Akio wanted, ha, had an idea for this chicken. So I just said, you know what, let's, let's me and you will figure this out. I don't know what you want to do with it. You don't know what you want to do with it, but eventually it'll become important. And it, it totally was. Sometimes we spend so much time building Building this idea and this NPC, even to the point where sometimes we make out a whole sheet for this NPC that we're like, this is going to be the NPC that our player is going to attach to and he's going to be so important. They're going to love him and they're going to die for him, whatever it is. And then our players are like, eh. No, I'm not interested in that guy. Yeah. But this chicken. <laughs> now, this, right. 
This I want to know more about at. this chicken. <laughs> but yeah, like Neil said, embrace that and go along yeah. with that. And you'll if you can embrace that, you're going to have great moments. Absolutely. I think another way to cultivate the right atmosphere is by understanding, accepting, and even loving the fact that you are not the only one with great ideas. I mean, this kind of goes into asking for player descriptions and embracing what the players embrace. But I think sometimes... There are DMs that go, oh, I've got the best story planned and don't realize that the player choices, what the players are kind of moving towards could be an even better idea. And if you can just accept that and understand that and love that and be like, no, I'm not the only one who's going to come up with great ideas. My players can do that just as well, if not sometimes better than I can. That's something that's a good thing. Yeah, that goes a long way with just like letting your pride go just to yeah. say, I mean, like, yes, to, to fully admit, I don't have all the all the best ideas. I don't have all the best an- answers or NPCs. Just say, I, I welcome. I'm going to I'm going to take your feedback. I'm going to take your ideas. We're going to run with this together. A great example in my game. <laughs> I stupidly I, I say this full, you know, with full awareness and uh and understanding, I stupidly let my PCs take this kind of like homebrewed custom potion I made. <laughs> it was these uh, these health potions, but they were disguised as health potions, but they're actually kind of like paralysis potions. They put people to sleep. <laughs> Long story short, there was this kind of nefarious orphanage owner who was using them to like kind of like keep these children sedated and then he used the kids as bait for other like to to lure in humans and then he did like these weird rituals and stuff on humans it's kind of a messed up dude but the whole point of this uh paralysis potion was just uh, to get like why don't the kids ever run away well i needed something to be like no it's because he's constantly got him sedated with mm-hmm. this stuff so then my wizard says well does he have any of that stuff left over <laughs> Of course, you know, that's, he asked the question. I love, I love rewarding him for like thinking outside the box. So I say, sure. There's like a storeroom behind a locked door. That's got uh, some of his supplies in there. He's like, well, how many can I hold? I don't know. Uh, just like, I, I just like, I think I probably answered too quickly. I didn't actually like take the time to think of what he could do with it. So I was like, I oh, can probably hold like 20. I mean, like whatever. And so those stupid potions have been the bane of my existence for the last 20 some episodes, because anytime they get in a tight spot, they're like, oh, I'll just I'll just put these guys to sleep and we can run away. It's like, OK, I guess. And of course, like I put all this time and work into this encounter or this character or this uh, this the story element and for them to just be like, Oh no, we drug him and put him to sleep. It's like, that really bothers me, but I just have to like, let my pride go say, no, it's okay. I said he could do this and I'm not just going to suddenly like, I'm not going to patch the game, so to speak and be like, Nope, the, the sleepy potions are no longer as effective. (laughs) I do say like, you have to use more than you, than you'd had to at the start, but I'm never going to say like, it's suddenly, you know, not working anymore. (laughs) So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get rid of those as fast as possible. You just got have a situation where they're fighting, warriors that are all wearing helmets and they use those potions and then they take off their helmets and they have pointy ears and they're elves who aren't affected by sleep and just that moment of (laughs) oh no perfect (laughs) they just feign unconsciousness and then they pop up again and they're like it's a trick oh now we can take their armor nope (laughs) also another way that you can cultivate this atmosphere 
of player influence stories is by taking the time as the DM to study your game's PCs. Take note of their interest. Take note and interest in your PCs and their actions and their choices. Mm -hmm. Just like you want your players to be interested in your story and your world. I know for me, like... One of the greatest things is when one of our players, hashtag Magic Mark, one time was talking about lore that I think he would, he thought he was talking about the Forgotten Realms universe. I was just like, uh, Mark, that's not Forgotten Realms. That's that's Atos. That's my world. And he was just like, oh, dang. Well, you know, I, I and he like he was like so into and he knew everything that he was talking about. And he's like he told me that he just basically has. Otto's up there with Forgotten Realms at this point. And that was like one of the biggest compliments oh, yeah. I could have ever received from a player. Absolutely. But just like just like we want our players to be interested in our world and our stories, our players really want us as the DMs to be interested and their uh, the other players to be interested in their PCs and their stories. And mm-hmm. we should do that and we should be interested in who their PCs are because like we said before, without the PCs there is no story. So if these PCs are going to be influencing your world, you should be interested in them. So maybe you can bring them up later in the future or whatever it is. Yeah. One thing I really like, I like to do to really uh, encourage that behavior is just like he said, after the game, when we're all just kind of sitting around chatting, going back over some funny things that happened throughout the recording or something, or I really love doing this one-on-one is just talking with them, like figure out like how, how did your character respond when this happened? Like, what are you feeling right now? What do you like? Do you want to go do something else? Do you want to react or respond or like ignore it completely? Try and just figure out how their character fits into this world on a mental level. Is this like how involved are they with what's going on and really what what drives them, what pushes their buttons and what what motivates them? Because like I said, you could have the best story in the world that really is, you're doing everything you can to try and cater to those players. But if they're just not responding then they're, ultimately your players aren't going to have a good time and it's not going to be a real successful campaign. So really just like talk to them one-on-one in a group if you if you want to or need to. Just figure out what makes them tick and what they're really responding positively to. And then just lean into that. Like you said, let your pride go. You're <laughs> yeah. not the only one with good ideas and then just kind of lean into it. Yeah, I know for the Voyage on the Unending Sea, the game I'm running in right now, we've had a lot of discussion, me and the players together and the players like me one and one or like three of us, whatever it is about alignment because each player has their own alignment and it's not exactly staying the same throughout this campaign. They're Mm -hmm. having to make a lot of difficult moral decisions and whatever it is. So some of them are like, I like, I even asked them like, do you see your alignment as the same as it was when we started? How about your personality? Like your perspective on the world, are those all where they were? And having that talk to understand where their characters are at and who they've grown into and who they've changed from is a great thing for you as a DM to understand. And, and like we were talking about before with making a conscious choice as the DM with that information in mind, I guarantee if you do this, if you talk to your players, if you study your PCs, that you're going to have all these different ideas springing up into your head of, we can make this happen in the story, and I can have them meet an NPC who would bring about this challenging Mm -hmm. question or whatever it is. 
and that's a good thing. I think that's a really awesome thing to do and embrace as the DM. I think that it's another good point that if you do this between sessions, I mean, Reed, you had mentioned it doing it right after, but if you're willing to do it, let's say you play every week, like halfway through the week, you kind of get back in touch with your players. It helps keep them invested as well as you continuing to learn where they're at between each session and what their characters are thinking about what just happened and what you can change of what's like about to happen for them oh totally yeah like what i really love is sometimes i ask questions that the players themselves hadn't considered so if if like a really important character just died or there's this really important plot event that just happened in the game as it's happening as we're recording you know this podcast they're not necessarily like thinking how am i processing this as this player they're just kind of like in you know, I don't want to say on, on autopilot, but they're just kind of like acting it. They're just kind of mm-hmm. going with it. And so then after the after the recording's done, I can just kind of like chat with them a little, uh, you know, not in, with, in front of microphones and say to them, you know, like, so like really what's Sherwood's like, where's Sherwood's mind at right now? How does how did he react when this happened? And it forces him to sit down and think, yeah, how how did I react? Like, what am I thinking right now? And it it allows him to take that information and then form his opinion or form his plan of attack for the next session. And then we have something to build off of immediately. And all going back to, you know, this whole this whole episode, this whole idea of player player influence storytelling, that's where all this originates from is now we come back the next session he's got this plan or he's got this idea and the whole world the whole episode the whole story can start evolving from that idea and it just it really irons out the player influence the dmpc interaction really just making them feel like they're an integral part in this process so to wrap this up before we we close out here, are there any final thoughts that we have? We want to share those with you. So, Neil, let's start with you. Final thoughts on player influence storytelling. I think the thing that I would suggest you do with your players, no matter where you're at, like if you're starting, if you've had a campaign that's running for multiple years, have a one-on-one session with every one of your players just to get a better gauge of where they're at both as players and his characters, and then, like we've always said throughout this, embracing what they bring up to you and trying to incorporate that going forward. I think for me, my final thought would just be to, we just talked about it, but really, absolutely, if you're not already doing it, talk to your players about their characters, and also, you, as the DM, you need to be interested in their characters, who they are, Get interested in them. Ask them questions. Ask them prying questions about who their characters are, their perspectives, their alignments, their personalities, the changes they've gone through. Take a real interest in those. And and you will, like like we just said, you'll have ideas coming into your mind of where you can take this story. Yeah, and for me, I would say uh, my, my final thought is really evaluate as the DM in your story what is sacred, what is immovable, and what is not. I think you said earlier, Mitch, like 95% plus mm-hmm. is totally fair game. Yeah. And as, as soon as you kind of understand that there's nothing that's so that's so detrimental to your story that it'll break everything— 
the shackles kind of come off the the players have that freedom to do what they want to do and really it's almost like this fun game of testing the dm and uh see like can i do this can can this wacky thing happen really embrace that that's what the players will love that's what you as a dm will really you'll you'll see that your players love it you'll see uh, how much they enjoy it and then it'll make you better at coming up and kind of staying on your toes to to prepare for that and to just really allow them to play the characters the way they want to read if our listeners want to get in touch with you if they want to ask you questions about player influence storytelling or ask you questions mm-hmm. about sneak attack or just pry into your soul and ask you about you as and your perspectives <laughs> and your alignment and your personality the deep dark questions absolutely <laughs> where can they get in touch with you at the easiest and most efficient way of reaching out to me would be on our uh, sneak attack twitter account that's at sneak podcast all one word i say it at the end of every episode we record <laughs> but seriously i love interacting with fans i love interacting with listeners and in this case people who may not have listened to the show before if you have a question about what we do or uh, player influence storytelling anything uh, i would seriously love to chat with you about it and uh, give you as much information or tips or anything that I can. And yeah, if you want to know what I was scared of as a five-year-old boy, you can ask me that too. I'll tell you now, it was uh, Ernest Scared Stupid. So, you know, that's just, that's a freebie, listeners. Nice. Now you can, now you can write to Reed and ask him what he was scared of as a six-year-old boy. There so. you go. Cause that, that was different. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, reach out to Reed, ask him questions, interact with him. Uh, speaking for, for somebody who runs the pot the twitter for this podcast it's awesome when you guys do that i know reed's emotions of like it's so cool when you reach out so definitely reach out to reed and just let him know you loved him on this podcast and absolutely go check out the sneak attack podcast i have definitely gotten into sneak attack and i'm not just saying that because reed is right now listening to me through <laughs> his headset i i love their podcast it is worth checking out if you like ap's if you oh. don't like ap's Go over and listen to them. Yes. I, I really appreciate that, guys. Thanks so much. Yeah, if you if you want to listen, new episodes every single Friday. We, we've been doing this for 35 weeks. We haven't missed a Friday yet. So if you are interested, there will be an episode on a Friday. We promise you that. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, Reed, thank you so much for coming on to the Dungeon Masters block. We hope that you will join us again to talk about a different topic in the future. That would be lovely. No, oh, that would be great. Thanks so much for having me. This has been yes. such a blast. No, thank you. So that's all we have for you on this episode today. Really great discussion with Reed. We're so thankful to him for coming on to the show and talking about player-influenced storytelling. It's just such an important thing for us as DMs to, to embrace and to realize this is a great way to tell stories with your players being an important aspect of that story that's being told. Uh, Neil. If people want to write into us and if they want to ask us questions about player influence storytelling or about DMing or basically anything, if they want to ask us what, Neil, your worst fear at age five is, Uh-oh. where can they reach us at? Fun fact, it's drowning because I had almost drowned a couple <laughs> times as a little kid. There is no mystery to you guys. <laughs> nope. And so the best place to do that is to email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com and if you feel so inclined you can also head over to itunes and leave us a five-star review and if you do that you'll get mentioned on the podcast and we're actually running a little low on reviews so it would be a podcast very soon and you can also check us out on stitcher 
You can follow us on Twitter at, at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. You can also go to our Facebook and search Dungeon Masters Block and find our Facebook page. And you can like us there. Both of those places will give you updates about the show, memes, and just great D&D stuff all around. Recently, I posted, for example, a... A one-page sheet of D&D 5e character creation, and it just breaks it down into one sheet that you could print out and hand to new players. It's fantastic. So if you want things like that, follow us on Twitter, like our Facebook page. We have a Patreon member shout-out of the week, and this week's Patreon member shout-out is... Maurice! Yes, thank you so much, Maurice. Thank you. You are awesome. Maurice is a dreaded silver dragon. So Maurice is not only able to listen to our bonus pods, which, Neil, what are some of the bonus pods that, if you are even at bronze dragon level, you can listen to? I actually think I can name most of those. You'll get an AMA from all of the hosts at the Dungeon Masters block, so you can check out an awesome review of Tomb of Horrors and a special... Diamnastics with Rich Howard and I, and there is a, an hour and a half of Morgan Jenkins and I talking like crazy people, and you can get all of that as a bronze dragon or up. But Maurice is a silver dragon, and so Maurice is able to listen to those podcasts and also able to go to our forums and give us some input and vote on upcoming episodes. So thank you so much for your support, Maurice. It is very very much appreciated well with that we are closing things down here at the dungeon masters block the place where we come to talk about who the dungeon master the most important person in the game the only person capable of playing god killing characters and lowering the egos of all other people at the table good morning everyone (laughs) nice keep on dungeon mastering Goodbye.